And we are back with another episode of Bat Force Radio. Um, what do they say? Something about no limits. Blah 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 <laughs> blah. blah. <laughs> well, that's not that's not the truth because we are limited sometimes with our knowledge of technology and software. So I'm just gonna say this is uh, true. W- this is just uh, Bat Force Radio, and I mean, so this is. Uh, Yours truly, Grandpa Batman, fresh off a you know barbecue rib dinner. So, oh um, nice, fat and I'm full and <laughs> I'm ready to talk some shit with some uh, friends of mine. <laughs> Let me introduce them from uh, the land of oranges and wildfires. We have Bat Force Tom in California, in and out, and all the way over on the East Coast in the. Uh, lovely land of the rotten apple rotten apple and, and the best damn pizza in the world we've got triple j the grumpler the gvp that's right that's right <laughs> and uh tonight you know we're basically going to give our uh recap of the super bowl so what do you guys think <laughs> so happy oh my god lose <laughs> lose <loose> situation <laughs> no it's as if hillary had won man <laughs> oh uh, yeah, no, that was an awesome game, actually. I, I was very entertained. Uh, it turned out pretty much how I, I expected. I won a little money. Uh, I love winning nice. the, Love winning a little cheese. So uh, mm. I was pulling for the Patriots, but, hey, I mean, props to the Eagles. I thought that they were the better all-around team, and, uh, you know. That hey. was a great fucking game, regardless of what side of the fence you're on. Dude, it, it was so fun to watch. I mean, I love those. Oh, yeah. I love those high-scoring games like that where it's just back and forth, back and forth. And I, I really hate the the defensive matchups where it's like, you know, just grinding and grinding. Yeah. I mean, there's people that like that type of game. But as far as my money, I, I like the, the high-scoring games. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for once, the, uh, the game seemed to outshine the off-field drama of shitty commercials and shitty halftime show. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you if you go for it on fourth down oh, and, uh, in the red balls. zone and <laughs> throw it to the quarterback, <laughs> yeah, you deserve to win. Yeah, big old balls. Yeah, huge balls. I mean that play. You'll see that you know for the rest of your life. I mean that that game was a classic. Uh, ESPN classic. Oh yeah, I mean, you know that you'll never see that play ran again. It's retired because it'll never work again because everyone will know exactly no. what's going to happen. But you know, yeah. you run it that one time and it works. That's all you need. So that was awesome. Yeah, the way I saw that play, the way it played out, it almost felt like you thought that, you know, like imagine a certain friend or Instagrammer, you know, uh, shutting down, but then coming back at the last uh, second, yeah. turning it around, you know, it's almost like that. Oh, I mean, that's a great segue. Nice are, segue. Are, you, are you talking about uh, a certain uh, cult of the Batman? What? He's back? Tonight, as we record this very episode? Tonight, it's Thursday, February 8th. A certain account reactivated, and I'm glad back to have him back. Yeah. And from the ashes. To the, day. Yeah. the fire rises. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed that I, I didn't get to say first on that post. That's the only thing I'm sad about. Aside from that, it's great. Yeah, man. I can't believe it. Colt the Batman is back. After a full calendar year of, uh, of no activity, 
he's back with a vengeance. So it's, it's good to have him back. It's like it's One like you know it's like they took. Accounts. Yeah, it's like they took the the original Coke. Uh, you know, they, they took the uh, original recipe and they got rid of it. and They added fake sugar, but then they brought it back and the Mexican <laughs> Coke came back. It was like that. So pumped about it. Very pumped. Yeah. I mean, he's he's like wait he's to like, see what he has in store. He's like the OG of the of the Bat Force. Um, so. Yep. Yeah, it's like we're getting the band back together. Mm. So there was also some interesting news that came out today. It's always. I'm always curious what we're going to talk about each week, and it, it never fails. Like the day of, or like at the last minute, some Batman-related news drops in our laps, and I—I I mean, I think it'd be uh, you know naive to to not discuss it. What do you guys think about the this rumor, or maybe it's confirmed? I don't know, but Joaquin Phoenix is being the Joker in the next standalone Batman film. Yeah, it's kind of weird. So the way it was reported, I guess from uh, actual. Uh, respected news sources for once so it's it's uh not just a rumor but i would say it's like a heavy rumor with some truth to it it sounds like joaquin phoenix has been approached by the director of the standalone joker film that's being uh partially produced by uh martin scorsese i believe it's pronounced (laughs) and um yeah, I guess the director, I don't know, is I can't get the name off the top of my head right now, apologies, but uh, I guess the director apparently had Joaquin Phoenix pegged as his like number one, and they approached him with the role, and Joaquin Phoenix has uh, expressed interest, and they are now in negotiations to talk about pl- portraying the Joker in this standalone film that's supposed to take place in 1980s New York. The way they really? describe the movie, like on paper, just just like the, it's supposed to be 1980s New York, uh, Joker kind of coming up as the kind of like an origins of how he got started as the Joker in Gotham. So and it's produced by Martin Scorsese. So 1980s New York, gritty Scorsese. I mean, like it. That's a win, you know. Um, so I, I don't really care who the actor is if if Scorsese has. Um, some shot calling in that film and he's putting money into it and they kind of allow him to, you know, help out the director. I'm all for it. And the fact that Joaquin Phoenix is talking to play Joker, I think it's kind of weird. Not weird. I mean, he's a great actor, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's weird in the sense that now we're going to have uh, two different Jokers in the same, if you want to call it, same universe. Are we? Um, we're going to... I think... Well, I think I think we're gonna have the thirty seconds to Mars version of the Joker, yeah. and then, which is uh, I guess you want to say present day DC films Joker, and then we're gonna have this nineteen eighties gritty version of the Joker. If you want to say, you know, it's kind of not unlike the comics where there's multiple different variations of that character and uh, even quote unquote origin stories that aren't even really canon origin stories are just loose stories that um you know they may be origins and then there's there's like dozens of takes on the joker and they kind of all you know all their stories kind of uh, get you know uh, mixed into current continuity sometimes they don't um i don't know I, I i mean i like joaquin phoenix i fucking love martin scorsese um <laughs> the, i don't think you can go wrong with those two combining forces and I think a lot of people are going to – a lot of people want to wash the taste of Leto out of their mouths. So for them, I think it's a win. Uh, I don't really know that many people that love Jared Leto's Joker. 
I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody in this conversation. I can tell um, you one that doesn't. This guy, but uh, so okay. Yeah. So is it really going to be? Is he going to be? Is it going to be more of a like standalone Joker movie with yeah, some Batman sprinkled in? Uh, I don't think Batman's going to be around yet, or is not the, the way they're the way, from what I remember months ago, months and months ago when they announced this, it was right after they announced that. Jeff Johns and I forget who the female producer or the female head over at uh, Warner Brothers. They made this announcement saying going forward, uh, they're not going to make this interconnecting universe with the okay. DC films. Uh, each film, what they're going to do is, uh, if the director wants to possibly do that, okay, they'll look and see if they can do that. Aside from that, it's going to be character driven and director driven, meaning that they're going to let the, the director do more of what he wants. And they're going to flesh out specific characters more than try to make cameo appearances. Good. So this, so this Joker film, and I can't remember what other film, maybe the Batman, but this Joker film was one of the like, like catapult films that they were going to use under that new banner of that type of film. So from that description, it sounds like it's literally just going to be like a Joker standalone. Uh, maybe nothing to do with well, maybe references to uh, Batman, whatever, but. Uh, not necessarily like you're not going to get many capes. It's just going to be a bad guy movie. It sounds like I think this sounds like to me, like, okay, they're, they're setting up, um, kind of a perfect situation where they can, and this goes back to the conversation about, are they replacing Ben Affleck as Batman? And, you know, I, I don't know if it was me or somebody else that brought up, and it was like, they can have two people do it. If they're going to do these standalone stories like that. And you may see, uh, a different person under the cow, you know, if he's just going to be making little appearances in that movie while keeping Affleck yeah. in the, you know, the Justice League and that that type of stuff, you know, storyline with with those characters, <clears throat> that makes yeah. sense to me. And I mean, who cares? I, as long as it's done right, and as long as it's yeah. done with quality. Yeah, I've I've, I've never. Uh, I mean, I guess because you know, with the original trilogy or the original movies or whatever with uh keaton and then val kilmer and then george clooney we kind of grew up with expecting that batman's never going to be the same actor so i think yeah. it, with this character we're kind of like more open to the fact that it's going to be a different guy maybe every couple movies or so as long as he does a good job of it so i'm not married to one character over the course of let's say 10 fucking films like iron man um <laughs> to where you know after yeah. a certain point you're just going to paint yourself into a corner with what do we do with this actor and character now that so many people love it, you know, what's going to happen next? You know, I, um, I really think it'd be cool if like, you know, basically if, if they're, if they're wanting to make it like kind of a origin story of, of Joker, obviously Batman's going to be a part of that in the beginning yeah. and then watch him evolve because if Joker's going to learn to be like this mastermind criminal, he's going to have to get in with, you know, the mafia and mob of, of the Gotham underground. And then maybe at the end we see Batman. That's where their story realigns back together mm. again. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I think, you know, if you want to talk about a specific origin, people are going to say you have to have Batman as part of that. But yeah. uh, like you say, you can have him at the beginning or whatever, or maybe just mentioned. And then you don't have to fucking have him in the rest of it. You just, you know, you like, that's what I think what I love about like Scorsese movies is, I mean, I know he's directed the ones I'm talking about, but 
Um, even some of the ones that I think he's had a hand in, he really likes the narrative of like rise and fall, you know, like a rise to power and then like an epic fall from grace. And uh, that's kind of what Goodfellas is. That's kind of what Mean Streets was. That's certainly what Wolf of Wall Street was. So I'm interested to see how he does because that's and those movies don't really have good guys in them. Or if the good guy is in it, they're not the main character and you're not rooting for him. You're rooting for the bad guy each time. And uh, I'm like really interested to see what they do with this kind of movie where it's, you know, the focus is on the bad guy. How are they going to make you relate to him? How are they going to make you like him? And uh, what are they going to do with a good guy if he shows up? So there was some other news, too. Aside from that, there was uh, Joaquin Phoenix. And then there was what was the other news that came out like today or yesterday? Lobo. That's right. Uh, that uh, the dude who, um, oh God, another Lobo movie. Oh, fucking Michael Bay. So uh, apparently oh, Michael God. Bay is going to be directing a Lobo movie. Um, to that I say, like, I mean, looking down the list of Michael Bay movies, if you just, if you take away Transformers and maybe the Ninja Turtles, I haven't really seen the second one, but um, I saw the first two, uh, first, uh, the first two Transformers, first one wasn't bad. But if you take those away, I don't really know if there's that many Michael Bay movies I dislike. Um, if you're talking like 90s Michael Bay, the dude was hitting it, man. Like, I wouldn't say that he's like an artistic filmmaker, but the dude knows how to make an action movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's going to be shit blown up. Yeah. <laughs> and he killed it on those Victoria Secret commercials uh, <laughs> in the 90s as well. Man, epic, epic masterpieces of 30 seconds of film, to be honest with you. Let me, so, let, me, uh, let me go back to the Joker for a second. Yeah. Uh, I, I like Joaquin Phoenix, and I'm pretty sure he'd do a great job, but uh, I know it's premature, but there's no mention of Batman, and I don't see how you have one without the other. So if, if they don't do it the way you guys are saying, uh, you know, just... He's tied to the origin. They're tied to each other. They're, they're yin and yang. They're, you know opposite sides of the coin uh, if there's any Joker origin he's got to be in the movie and I, I don't know does that mean a different actor does that mean Affleck or I don't know yeah I, 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 I can't tell who used the term origin too I don't know if it's like the term that the um, um, that Warner Brothers is using or DC is using or is it yeah. what the writers of the article are using because that's like something that's you always have to focus on what is being reported versus what is being said by the yeah. news outlet that's reporting it so dc film slash warner brothers can just say joker standalone 1980s and then the reporting can take from that and say origin um so i i don't know who used that term but you're right if warner yeah. brothers used that term I would hope that Batman is involved. If it's uh, the publication that's using the term, they're just using it because they're assuming that's what it is. So yeah. that's not necessarily what it's going to be. So I think it's important for people who uh, check out these websites and uh, who are quick to uh, follow these meme accounts. Uh, make sure you know what's being said and you dig through that article before you take anything as fact. Because a lot of times it's just uh, you know these hype beast reporters that are just trying to get a, a news article out with a clickbait title so and yeah. do people really want an origin i mean i don't i don't i don't need one i don't like i don't need to know where it came from uh but 
I'd like to see a young Joker fucking killing people. I mean, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit how he got there. But if you want to show yeah. me what he did back in the day, sure. Yeah. By all means, I guess that's kind of like what the uh, Joker in Arkham Origins kind of did. Is uh, they kind of introduced him in that game as an already established Joker, and they just kind of gave little dream sequences of you know the Red Hood. Um, yeah. But Batman the whole time is trying to figure out who the fuck this guy is. So. Who knows? It's it's uh, it's very early into the production of the movie, so you can't even really say. Yeah, exactly. There's some uh, Harley Quinn news today as well. Oh no! Apparently, she's getting her own animated series on the the DC. Uh, what is it? Their their own. Oh, network. their streaming service. Yeah, their streaming service. You know, I I I would rather them just fucking come out with it already than keep talking about it. Because <laughs> they just keep talking about the streaming service and the way they describe it, it sounds amazing. But I, I mean, I don't know if you've heard of any like, what, where's the, where's the footwork on it? How long is it going to take to come out? You know, what's going to happen with it? Um, Apparently, so, I mean, the Titan show is filming already. So wow, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're also going to do like um, a Lois Lane and Lex Luthor show in Metropolis yeah. without Superman, and that's kind of yeah. Weird. That's I could I could give a fuck less about that. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I it's they're like it's like doing Lois and Clark the New Adventures of Superman without Clark or the New Adventures of Superman. Yeah. <laughs> like they kind of did that and and that was a cool show. I loved watching that show. I really dug it. I thought everyone was great. Terry Hatcher as Lois. I'm so. a fan, I'm a fan. Here we are. Right. Fuck man. I'll tell you, when I was a kid, I read Robert Anton Wilson and all this shit, and here we are, we're standing here, we're talking about this shit, and it's real. <laughs> okay, I'm pissed, and in half an hour, I'm going to come up on drugs to watch for it. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, is there any practicing magicians in the audience? Put your hand up if we got any. Yeah, come on, bold. A few. Okay, by the time we finish this, you're all going to be practicing magicians. This shit's easy, right? I'm like you, basically, why are we here, right? Why are we here at this thing? What are we, what's this all about? And by the way, this is a Scottish accent. So, reset the filters and pretend it's Sean Connery talking to you, okay? 007. <clears throat> right. So if you can follow me, I'm, I'm just gonna talk the way I talk, and fuck you if you don't understand me. <laughs> the deal is this. I've been writing this comic for the last six years, and the weird thing was, like you, like everyone here, we're trying to figure what's going on. Why do we feel different? Why don't we fit into this world? Why do we think that they're not telling us the truth? So I went out and I read Robert Anton Wilson's books when I was 20 years old, which is 20 years ago now. And I figured, is this guy bullshitting me? He says we can talk to aliens, we can talk to people from Sirius. Is he talking crap? He said Alistair Crowley's got methods for contacting alien intelligence and for changing the world. Is he talking crap? So I did it, and no, he's not talking crap, right? And we can all do it. And this is uh, by way of trying to demolish the counterculture and replace it with something useful. We're just gonna start here and see where we get to. When I started doing The Invisibles, which is a comic book for people who don't, haven't seen the thing, it's a comic book which is kind of my attempt to explain what happened to me after I'd been abducted by aliens in Kathmandu in 1994. 
And the only reason I was abducted by aliens in Kathmandu in 1994 is because I went to Kathmandu in 1994 to be abducted by aliens. <laughs> and it works, right? And these fuckers, they will turn up. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that, that kind of uh, gets the news out of the way. And next up, this is something we've, we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. Uh, I think all of us here are uh, big fans of, of this writer that, well, he helped create one of the most important characters that is currently in the, in the Batman mythos with Damian Wayne, the son of Batman. So we've been wanting to talk about some Grant Morrison stories uh, for a while. I, I know we've brought it up about, you know, for about the last year, but... Uh, tonight, we're going to also focus on Batman R.I.P., which, you know, some consider, like, his quintessential, you know, masterpiece. Yeah, in the magnum opus. Yeah. Before we get into that, though, you know, he, he first started, you know, uh, his run on Batman started with issue 655, and that really brought us into the introduction of, of Damien. So, uh, Grumps, you got any information on... Yes. Uh, you know, the introduction of Damien and, and how that came to be? So Damien was the, uh, I guess, the love child from uh, that uh, that one shot. Um, I think it was in the 80s, Batman, Son of the Demon. Mm. And um, in, in the end of that, uh, I, I guess, I don't know, Talia seduced Bruce Wayne and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. she gave birth to a baby and gave it up to adoption. And and, and how how that baby was conceived is, is a subject of, of controversy for cool. some people. Very, but uh, Very sort of subject. Be careful <laughs> the way we describe this to certain Batcat shippers. They will pounce on us. Um, you, you know, to, to people that have a problem with that, I, you know, supervillains do bad things. Uh, so, <laughs> so are you, are you once you get over that... <laughs> Are you subscribing to the uh, the school of thought that says that Talia took advantage of Batman? No, I don't subscribe. I'm saying I'm saying Batman knew knew he was in there and knew what he was doing. That's yeah. what I'm saying, man. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm saying that he I, I'm saying that he wouldn't have dressed that way if he didn't want it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I know that's really controversial to say, but I'm just saying it. Yeah. So we got the introduction of Damien. Yeah. And I don't know. I kind of have. Uh, some thoughts on you know not just why he did it but you know also how he did it in a way that mm. um, you know really was uh, compelling especially at the time you're like what Batman's got a son and this mm-hmm. kid is like the spawn of evil which is funny because you know here you've got Batman who's like you know protector of justice in Gotham City and then you've got this little shithead that you know <laughs> he is like the embodiment of, of of evil himself, but what what, what do you yeah, think were some of the reasons why he, you know, his intentions were with this character? What, uh, you know, again, uh, Talia and her dad they see Bruce Wayne, Batman, as uh, the embodiment of of perfection. Uh, Grant Morrison <clears throat> several times throughout the years called him like a the optimum man, the you know, the, the perfect man. And uh, they they used you know again another trope I guess they used the child to get to the father and uh, I, I think uh, Ty just uh, sees Damien as nothing more as than, than bait 
to get you know her perfect mates. Yeah, and, uh, uh, Raja Gul's heir. Uh, you said something. Yeah. You said something one time, and I thought it was perfect. You said he's like the pawn. Yeah, he's yeah. a pawn between his parents. And uh, you know, it's a game that she's playing, like you said, to kind of bridge, you know, that connection that they that they lost or that she feels they lost. Some would say they never had, but um, you know, also she's using Damien as a distraction, you know, because she knows that he's going to go and really mess with his head, his emotions, and also yeah. maybe even his mission. While she she's got plans in motion, you know all the way halfway across the world that she's got going on. And like you said, he's the pawn, but he's really a distractionary piece. I I thought it was also pretty cool how Morrison, you know, brought in the son of Batman, but it's almost in a way of like showing Batman that what his legacy could be if he doesn't um, in some way step up his game. You know, this As kid, yeah, this kid is, I mean, he's an assassin. And so yeah. even though Batman may do whatever he wants and not kill and do all this stuff, his legacy is going to be someone that is just going to bring hell on earth and kill whoever to, you know, reestablish, you know, this ideology that Ra's al Ghul and Talia al Ghul have. And mm. he's, he's really got to fight within himself, one, how to, establish a relationship with this kid but also to kind of uh deprogram him in a way and we see yeah. you know the 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 struggles that those two go through at the beginning i mean because they are like at each other's throats mm-hmm. Amy comes in and you know he's already he he recognizes batman as the alpha but he sees himself you know entitled above the other Robins, the other, uh, you know, wards. So mm. he, he kicks their ass a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> he, I, I almost see him kind of like a Raptor testing the electronic fence for weaknesses. Right. Uh, when, uh, he's brought into the bat family fold because he, like you say, he knows that Batman's the alpha, but he wants to test the limits to see just how much he can get away with. And there's that one great scene when, uh, he's throwing a tantrum in the room and Batman like just screams in his face and says, "You will have your chance to uh, impress me, but for now, patience is a virtue." And he fucking cowers, you know. And he yes, father. Um, so it's I, you know, a lot of people hate Damien. I've always loved Damien, and uh, getting inside of the mind of Morrison a little bit, uh, I think bringing Damien Wayne into the comics universe allowed him to see a side of, or to show us really a side of Batman that we'd never seen before. I know Bruce Wayne, Batman has always, you know, taken on, um, these wards and, uh, kind of bring, brought in these orphans to kind of give them a home and be a father figure to them. But what he had was the advantage of them not being blood relatives. So he can always continue to be cold to them and continue to be distant. And just whenever it was convenient for him, you know, be the, be the the distant father and not have to be like the blood relative now with Damien that's his flesh and blood and that's a representation of his family that he's never had before and um, it represents something about Batman that he's never seen in himself and it's a challenge to himself to kind of uh, become this father figure and uh, redeem this character because really like Damien kind of starts out as this tragic character and 
it's it's kind of you know it's a character that's in need of redemption from the beginning. So it's kind of like Batman's digging himself out of a hole just from the get go with this character being brought into him. And at the same time, you know, uh, if you look at where Batman the character was during this time, he uh, wiped out crime from Gotham. Um, he's literally bored and doesn't know what to do with his time. Alfred tells him you have to learn how to be Bruce Wayne. And so it's kind of like a chink in that chain where he decides, okay, well, now I can be this, there's this playboy Bruce Wayne, but who is the real Bruce Wayne? You know, how, how do I become Bruce Wayne after all these years of dedication to being Batman? He tries to start doing that. And here comes this fucking baby mama <laughs> being like, Hey, like you got this kid that you got to pay for, you know, like you got a mouth to feed. And it's just like this, you know, this guy's just taking his shoes off, getting used to his bachelor pad. All of a sudden, here comes the ball and chain and just like turns his life upside down. So it's a couple of different things that happen all in one is yeah. Batman thought he was able to start learning who Bruce Wayne was. And then in a second, Talia comes in and shows him like, here's a part of Bruce Wayne that you never thought you'd have to deal with. It's like he has a son. So, you know, how do you become Bruce Wayne? the billionaire, the, the, uh, the mask of Batman. And then also how do you become Bruce Wayne, the father? Um, so I thought it was yeah. pretty interesting. That's a great point. Cause there's, um, just to jump forward a little bit, there's, there's a moment in the, uh, RIP, uh, Bruce and Alfred are, are talking about, uh, Damien and Tim and uh, I guess Tim goes to take a vacation or whatever. And, and, Alfred tells Bruce, you know, he's concerned about your relationship. And Bruce, it, it, it didn't even occur to him, like, the relationship, I didn't mean for that to happen. Like, he's so, like, he's not in that fatherly mode yet. It, it wasn't even a, a consideration to him at this time. And we see later on, obviously, you know, Damien sticks around and it does become, uh, you know, they, they do build a great relationship. I, I love in uh, in the, the opening part of uh, Black Love, or um, that's Black Love, right? The uh, before our RIP. Yes. Yes. In in part of uh, the Black Love, he's at this crazy, you know, high roller, uh, rich party, and he's literally talking about like taking multiple chicks home and giving them all his phone number. Um, yeah. And he's like, he's like living it up being this playboy. And then now he's got to be all conservative with like being a role model to his kid. So yeah, it's like his entire notion of what he was going to do. It's shattered. A quick, a quick side note, by the way, I really want to go back and maybe read. Uh, I think there was a Robin ongoing around this time too. Uh, yes. Maybe there maybe wasn't there because with following Tim, right? Yeah. All right. So Tim goes off into the fucking mountains or the woods and there's like hardly any explanation as to why. Why is a young teenage boy going alone in the woods? Um, that is, I don't. This this day and age, that deserves some explanation. And it, literally, they just let him go, you know. And they don't really say in the uh, Batman title what he's doing out there. Um, so I, I kind of want to read into uh, that Robin uh, ongoing to see what the fuck a teenage boy is going to do going off by himself into the woods, and why would his butler and his father let him do that, or his stepdad, whoever you want to say, adopted father. But I just thought that, that was very, uh, <laughs> um, just really uh, uh, irresponsible uh, side note. But anyways, also in, another important introduction in in this early run uh, from Morrison is the introduction of Jezebel Jet. Uh, the new love interest of Bruce Wayne through a yes. large portion of uh, his run. T- 
Tell us a little bit more about her. Well, she's very sultry. Um, <laughs> She is the heir to the uh, – she's kind of like uh, royalty from this tiny little country in uh, Africa, I believe. And uh, she is the heir to, I guess, the throne or whatever the the, uh, the monarchy is there. And she's uh, also a billionaire. Um, so she's throwing this party that Bruce Wayne attends, this kind of charity thing, um, this art this art showing or whatever. And uh, she kind of starts out to be um, part of kind of that journey that Bruce Wayne had to find himself was to also, I guess, allow himself to be happy and allow himself to fall in love. So one thing that I think Alfred kind of uh, tells him to do is that he should really um, explore this relationship. And I think they talk about Julie. Uh, is it Madison? Like we talked about last Julie time. Madison, Silver St. Cloud, they mentioned. They mentioned two yeah. Names. So, they mention they mention uh, Bruce's previous track record with attempting to have relationships and giving examples of how being Batman did not allow that to happen and they completely fell through. And there's one awesome part where, uh, you know, Bruce is like tinkering in the Batcave and he tells um, Alfred, he's like, tell Ju- or tell Julie or tell Silver that I can't make it tonight, make something up. And then uh, Alfred's like, she left two months ago. <laughs> like, dude, come back to the real world. Uh, so I think. Uh, um, Jezebel Jet represents part of Bruce allowing himself to explore his human side, explore um, what it means to be in a relationship, what it means to not be Batman, to fall in love and to allow himself to do that. That's what we think at first in, in Black Love. That's what we think is happening. And he even goes yeah. as far as to uh, allowing her into the Batcave, showing him that he's Batman and all these things. And um, so that's it's one big thing that we, we think that that's what he's doing in reality. Uh, he's doing some deep undercover, which we find out later in R.I.P. Uh, the best type of undercover, really, is is to get as intimate and as close to a woman as humanly possible. The best type uh, to of find undercover out her true is under the covers, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what James Bond taught me. Yeah. That's what he, and that's what Batman is, dude. Batman is kind of like James Bond. And so uh, that's kind of exactly the sense that I got is that he's working with this female and um, – at first, you think that you know all her intentions and you feel like she wants to get to know Bruce and she wants to help him and she wants to allow him to be vulnerable in front of him. And then uh, as that's happening, so is uh, the actual um, plan of the black glove in the background that very much uses Jezebel Jet in that sense to get closer to Bruce. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, she's pretty prominent through the through the series and uh, even through R.I.P. And a Jezebel is, uh, you know, I guess uh, a Jezebel is a, a, what a highly flirtatious woman or a, a woman yeah. that uses her sexuality, yeah, to get her way. So, uh, the, yeah, you know, it's funny that they use that. Ne- it's such a, I mean, I think most people uh, see that name as a first name. You're like that's a stripper's name. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like Jezebel yeah. Jet, you're like already like this woman's name is Jezebel. Like she's the, there's no way there's this is innocent character. The the way that uh I grew up knowing Jezebel was not a good name no, was uh, no. I I was very much into wrestling as a young kid, <laughs> and uh, I remember Jim Ross, the commentator for uh, the WWF, would often say about the divas, "Oh, she's a Jezebel." <laughs> and, uh, that was never a good thing. It meant that you no. know she's a. A two-faced temptress. She's got a, a hidden agenda, and she uses her sexuality to usually win over somebody to uh, influence them to do her will. So, 
Yeah, so Jezebel, she's, I guess she has her own country in this thing. Her parents were killed, and, uh, or her mother was killed, and then her father was the king or something, president of this country, and, and then he was mysteriously killed, and so the country was left to her, and she's, a, I guess, a supermodel. And a, That's know, right, yeah. So she, I mean, like, on a socioeconomical level, she's, like, Higher than Bruce Wayne when it comes to like status. She's oh, actual. Yeah. She's actual yeah. royalty. Yeah, she's yeah. like royalty slash yeah. like politician almost. Yeah. Yeah. So she's uh, she's if you would she's a glow up for Batman, I suppose. I guess she's like a step up. Um, yeah. As far as in the in the media, so that's another thing too. Is this is like a huge. Like, um, aren't they like skiing and snowboarding in one, in one like, uh, yeah, the snowboarding issue? and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's paparazzi um, following them and shit. And this is all, you know, it's it's all like part of the softening of Batman. Yeah. Uh, like you said earlier, he, he did a blitz on crime. So he's you know, pretty much er- eradicated super crime in Gotham. And he, you know, again, you, you said he's learning to be Bruce Wayne and now he's got a girlfriend. So now he has nothing to do with his time and he's distracted and he's so yeah. <clears throat> they're softening him up, basically. And it's, uh, you know, if you want to like if we want to transition even more into R.I.P., a lot of what happened in the Black Glove. Um, we learn that it's all been set up by the Black Glove, by Dr. Hurt, as a means to crack Batman's psyche, um, which he began to do when Batman went into an isolation chamber during his training many years ago. He was implanted with, or he was, Dr. Hurt, I believe, attempted to implant something into Batman to be able to break his psyche, and everything else uh, that happened in the Black Glove arc was a way to uh, break him down little by little, including introducing him to Jezebel Jet. Um, you know, even seeing the stuff with uh, Damien and the pressure of that with Talia coming back. Uh, it all leads to eventually what happens in R.I.P., which is um, the psychological death of Batman. Um, so, so just to touch on the isolation chamber a little bit, that was for him at the time a means to to try to get to understand the Joker better. Yeah, and uh, he he obviously came out of that not not doing too well and uh, um, hallucinating, and he he hallucinates the death of Robin, which he you know, feels guilty for, so he gives up crime fighting for you know briefly and, and whatever. Um, yeah, so obviously his mind was you know really affected by this. And uh, during that time, uh, the GCPD uh, trained three individuals to be Batman in the event something ever happened to Batman and he wasn't in Gotham anymore. Like a Um, a contingency plan, you know. Contingency plan, exactly, Gramps. And uh, so, obviously, training these three individuals, you, you have to put them up against the real thing. And once the three of them went up against Batman, uh, you know, they were completely destroyed or whatever. Uh, so that didn't work out for them. Um, he broke the hands of the marksman, who was the first Batman. Um, he beat the crap out of the Bane Batman. And uh, the third one, I forgot what happened to him. Um, the third one got away. I mean... That turned well, out well during the during the training part. I mean, he, he defeated them all. 
Um, well, yeah. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, he defeated them all, and then Doctor Hurt discovered the reason that they they failed was the trauma. They lacked the trauma that would cause uh, would give somebody the drive to do what Bruce Wayne does, what Batman does. Uh, you know, so that that's it was at that point that they realized they needed to to create the trauma. And I think they went back uh, with Michael Lane, and they tried to they tortured his family and whatever, and they, they created that trauma with him, but it, it didn't work out. So then they shut these three individuals down. Um, at this time, unbeknownst to us, while Batman was in the isolation chamber, uh, Dr. Hurt had implanted a uh, trigger in his mind which is the yeah. trigger word is Zer and R. And uh, that, that trigger was to uh, make him, uh, I, must ha- I must hang up my costume and retire from crime fighting. So, uh, but we don't, uh, at the time, Batman doesn't know that. Just to kind of, yeah. sorry. Just to kind of give a little background, like Morrison, he loves writing about like the psychological elements of, of characters. I mean, he's he's into, like, studying all the religions, and he's into, like, yeah. you know, taking all the hallucinogenic Peyote. drugs and all sorts of shit. He did a, yeah. he did a crazy uh, interview on Fat Man on Batman, and I mean, I, I swear, he could be like a cult leader, because the way he talks, <laughs> you know, mm. he's just very hypnotizing, and he, he can just tell stories and stories, and so he he loves to like incorporate all that into his writing and and it really comes yeah. out sometimes it's like you're like what am i reading yeah but then sometimes it's I mean, it's a lot it, yeah you so have heavy. To, you have to read it a couple of times to really kind of get it because there's there's little references here and there i i knew immediately whenever he was on this run i read a couple of like single issues and i was like I'm just going to wait to get a trade of this later. (laughs) I've got to read this to see the whole picture because I can't read just one book and wait another month and remember what happened in the last one without reading it two or three more times. So I'm just going to trade wait all this stuff. Exactly. So I met these guys. I'm sitting in the roof garden of the the Vajra Hotel in Kathmandu. And I was probably doing tons of dope, (laughs) you know, but in my defense... I do like a quarter of dope a day, <laughs> and I've been doing it since 1990. So I know this shit, and as you all know, everyone out there who's like who's ahead and who knows what I'm talking about, you don't hallucinate, right? If you go to the garage, it's the fucking garage. If you go to the 7-Eleven, it's the fucking 7-Eleven. You might be stoned, you might be picking up lots of interesting little bits and pieces that you don't normally get when you're straight, but you know what's real and you know what's not real. So, as I say, in my defense, Man, I was loaded. <laughs> but this was the end of a week in which I'd been loaded every single day. And I'm sitting up there in the roof garden and suddenly these fuckers arrive. And they arrive en masse and they look exactly like Terence McKenna described. <laughs> Why is that? Because <laughs> I'd just read Terence McKenna a year before. What they told me was they took me out of my body. I wasn't in my body anymore. This doesn't normally happen with hash. This happens on DMT or it happens on ketamine or something, right? I'm on hash, a tiny little bit, size of a lentil, and I start tripping, and I'm out of my body. 
And these fuckers are there, and they said, where do you want to go? The first thing I said was Alpha Centauri, which is the first thing you would say, of course. <laughs> and they took me to Alpha Centauri, and it's fucking real, it's there, there's three suns, the whole thing was moving exactly as we're told it's supposed to move astronomically. And I'm there, and I said to them, well, what the hell's going on here, <laughs> as you might? And uh, they said, we've come to tell you this stuff so that you can put it in your work and explain it to the world. It's just some heavy stuff in there, and it's all interconnected, and 13 issues later, he's pulling out threads from <laughs> the beginning. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. I, I thought it was awesome to kind of, I mean, the whole point of the story, uh, RIP, that is, is to showcase how Batman is ready for anything, which even includes an assault on his psyche when he may not even know about it. Yeah. Which who the fuck thinks about that? And uh, that's exactly what uh, Morrison was kind of exploring is Batman is the ultimate. Um, Batman is the ultimate fighter in the sense that he literally has every defense set up and ready to go. And uh, um, I love how, you know, he talks about uh, Dr. Hurt giving him uh, uh, street grade. Uh, was it meth? meth. It's like wep- weapons yeah. grade, Both weapons grade meth. cocaine. Uh, yeah, like all this, he just he gives him coke, he gives him meth, that just fucks him up and leaves him on the uh, streets to kind of destroy him. There's a movie that did that, or there's multiple movies that do this, where um, they they take this character and they just give him drugs and they just throw him on the street to like turn him into this druggy and junkie and let the fucking city take him. But uh, basically, what it does is it all all it does what is it triggers Batman's mind to go into defense mode. And uh, mm-hmm. to streamline itself and to cut away Bruce Wayne and to just become Batman, the Batman of Zuranar, which is survival mode Batman. And yeah. that's who eventually comes back. And, uh, and during all this time, too, Dr. Hurd takes over Arkham Asylum and uh, he's using it as almost like a pay-per-view event to watch the death of Batman. And he's got all these high rollers in there, you know, coming into uh, Arkham Asylum to witness it and... Uh, he even attempts to manipulate the Joker to use him in this kind of grand scheme. Uh, I love the way Joker is kind of drawn as this freak um, in R.I.P. Um, there's a couple of moments where, you know, uh, Tony Daniel, you know, you can say whatever you want. There's He has strengths, he has weaknesses, but um, there's some pretty cool moments with Tony Daniel's artwork. And I think the Joker parts are some of my favorite bits. Um but then again, you also yeah. kind of take uh, Andy Kubert's art from uh, the uh, uh, Black Love arc, and it's like, God damn, that guy can fucking draw. It, he did some great stuff in that run. J.H. Um, Williams as well. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, the R.I.P. stuff is cool, man. It's it's like uh, what happens with Batman if uh, you break down his psyche, his psyche and he still has a defense mechanism with that, and um, you just can't break him down. You know, you can't ever count him out. Um yeah, that was that was the, the most interesting part to me is is he this guy planned for his like what what do I what am I gonna do if my mind goes under attack like uh, I need a backup like who who thinks like that a backup like a you back up your computer you have a a, a backup OS or whatever. But this guy wants to back up his brain. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's interesting too to kind of like um, what when what I think this year what was the year that R.I.P. kind of came out and was written um, uh, early two thousands. Oh yeah, okay, so so late two thousand, well, not late two thousands. I don't know how I want to say, but two thousand eight. 
Um, it's also interesting to maybe go back and look at the landscape as far as like politically and socially what's going on. Because Morrison's also really in, like he's super into um, keeping tabs on the way media influences the general yeah. public and uh, how we consume media and how we are influenced by agendas that are given to us by outside sources. So it's kind of uh, his, you know, uh, commentary on how does a man uh, choose to essentially block out an assault on his mind. Uh, you know, you could think about like in that, in that year, um, we're still at war in the Middle East. We still got people going over and fighting yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, there's war propaganda going on. There's all these messages in the media with leadership and, and these things. And uh, Morrison is very much into cutting out the bullshit that's being fed to him uh, by mass media and like going to the root of what's actually being said. And so I think that's kind of what Batman's doing in the stories. Yeah. He's being fed all this bullshit around him <laughs> and he's, he's got to understand how to pick up on it. Like, you know, like if we're reading the story thinking, Oh, Batman's uh, getting to fall in love with Jezebel Jed and he's, you know, wanting to be Bruce Wayne the whole time. He's like already onto her. And he's like, all right, well yeah. they're fucking trying to get me from this angle with me, like becoming vulnerable and falling in love with her. Then they're going to, they're going to work on Damien and uh, becoming a stressor on the bat family and having me like, you know, be tempted to, to give it up because of that, because of all the tension it's causing my family. Um, you know, they're throwing weapons, great heroin at me and all this other shit. So it's really interesting to see like how society kind of influenced the story a little bit. Well, I think you said at one time also, Tom, it's like, it kind of shows you that Batman deals with PTSD, you know, daily. PTSD. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and that's kind of where this, I, I you know, the Batman of Zero and R is a, a, is a defense mechanism where he totally wipes out, you know, the, the, the morality and the logic of of Bruce Wayne but it's also kind of how he deals with what happened whenever his parents died and and that's what created this side of his mind and stuff like that so that's why he's got you know the little batmite who yeah. is basically I thought this was cool in the story I mean if we're we're now getting into the Batman RIP in the uh, the previous arcs where he's dealing with the uh, the three imposter Batman and I'm like who what the fuck is all this shit <laughs> and you know he's talking to Bruce obviously Bruce is the only person that can hear and see this person or entity and um, it's his last shred of humanity tying himself to to Bruce Wayne it's like his little moral compass that he yeah. programmed to to be a link so that he didn't just totally lose control there's um i found what i was looking for earlier uh this line in rfp of bruce is talking to the uh the monk or whatever and he says if my mind came under attack let's just say it already has come under attack would it be possible to create an emergency personality as a defense a backup human operating system and see, that, and that's essentially what he does. That's that comes from someone who's read a lot of, like Sigmund Freud and you know Nitschke and all these yeah. philosophers and and you know who who studied in the 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 science of psychology and stuff like that. Like I ex fully know that Morrison does. I mean, he's a smart dude. 
we have touched on the on the religious aspects of this RIP and and uh, man, there's a lot. Uh, Doctor Hurt. Uh, some some people said he was the devil, uh, and you know, Bat God or Batman rising from the the grave in this book. And, yeah. Well, and also how he tries to be. You know, he portrays himself as Thomas Wayne. You know, a, a father figure. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you know, follow me. Be you know, kind of like I don't know. I wouldn't say as an image of God, but he he gives this impression that you know, follow me and be worship me and and fulfill my mission, you know, because you're my son. So yeah, there are certain aspects like that. Um, no, he is he is every bit the devil or a representative for the devil. Um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of religious. I'm not a very religious person, but it's a whole it's heavy in this book. And he's also he also acts as a tempter. You know, like you're, you yeah. know the way the devil tempts Jesus, and he he gives uh, he gives Batman this whole story of who he is and what he can offer him and where he yeah. actually comes from and and what Batman truly is, and it's almost. Like, it's tempting because Batman's like, fuck, like, is this shit real? Like, is he telling the truth? You know, is he really my father? Like, well, he, I mean, Batman doesn't give into it, but he, you know, he he, uh, he condemns it and he says it's not true. But I think, you know, when you're reading it as the reader, you're also kind of reading it as the way Batman reacts to it. Um, you're hearing this stuff for the first time. And it's like, holy shit. Is that really Thomas Wayne? Like, what is he saying? Is this really, like, legit? Well, I mean, and, like, even Batman says, he's like, you're not my father. And he's like... Well, the suit fits, doesn't it? Because he's wearing like the outfit yeah. that Thomas Wayne at the uh, you know, masquerade ball, which was kind of like you know the first Batman. But you know, he's like, "Well, the suit fits, right?" And it kind of leaves you like, "Well, yeah, yeah. kind of does." But- There's an interesting exchange with uh, Doctor Hurt and the Joker, uh, which <clears throat> kind of. Uh, you know, is is the the nail in the coffin here? Uh, um, the Joker says, "Now it's your turn." The black glove quivering in an insane asylum, exactly where he wants you. Now you're in his box too. You can never prepare for the unexpected, well-timed punchline, the wild card. And he's holding up a Joker card, which you know we all know is the wild card. And he says, "Devil is double as deuce, my dear doctor." And Joker trumps deuce. And uh, he says, "I'm saying that uh, I'm saying I do. Pleased to meet you. Admire your work, but don't call me servant." That's basically. Look, I know you're the devil. I think you're great and everything, but I don't work for you, buddy. So <laughs> <laughs> you're you're on your own with this one. And and I and, love uh, I love how that that ties back to the the very beginning of Batman R.I.P. You know, Jezebel Jets already figured out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. She probably already knew it, but yeah. you know, Bruce Wayne reveals it to her and and doesn't try to hide it from her. So R.I.P. opens where Batman's visiting Joker, and Joker's playing with cards, and Batman recognizes that he's dealing a dead man's hand, mm-hmm. which means, you know, um, you've got two aces and two eights, and then a wild card that's not revealed yet. And why it's called the dead man's hand is... Uh, I think it was what um, 
what famous gunslinger was it? Um, was it Wild Bill Hitchcock? Some famous gunslinger. Sure. That was his poker hand that he had when he was shot in the back by, you know, some bad oh. guy. And, you know, Batman recognizes it, and later on it, it ties into the story. And it's funny because Joker says something like, you think everything's so literal when I'm just, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just trying to show you that, you know, chaos can happen at random. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Where, that, that's where that Joker reference comes in, you know, with Dr. Hurt. Did you guys almost have to expect uh, Joker to, like, fucking uh, kill Dr. Hurt at one point? And, like, foil. Yeah, there's a point where, like, Dr. Hurt even kind of plays with that, with, like, you know, he's like, or, or Joker mentions it, where it's like, I know this is the part where I surprise yeah. everyone by helping my greatest enemy, blah, 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 you know. But, uh, it, and then, you know, I, I thought it was awesome, too, that um, um, they uh, kidnapped Nightwing, and they're about to fucking give him a, that was nuts, too. They're about to give him a lobotomy and shit. Yeah, that was nutty. Um, and they have them all prepped up for all that stuff. And the uh, Quasimodo looking dude, I forget what his character's <laughs> name is. Um, but he's like all, he's like, he's like getting off on the fact that he's like, he's finally able to like fulfill his dream of doing all this shit. Yeah. But that's, do Morrison, that's something else too. Morrison creates some weird, messed up villains that are really into like, uh, disfiguring and, uh, lobotomizing, uh, he, like, you know, he had the whole thing where uh, he was he's in he's into like he wanted Joker to get shot through the jaw and out of his forehead and have a bullet yeah. hole through his forehead. And then he created this uh, Quasimodo looking figure. To, yeah. To, yeah who's, uh, like super into this French dude that wants to lobotomize everybody. And then he creates Professor Pig, whose whole thing is to is to like uh, melt masks on the paper on the people and turn them into like Dolatrons. Um, and then it kind of rubbed off on Tony Daniel too, because then in uh, the detective run in the new 52, Tony Daniel brought in the doll maker and, yeah. uh, made that all messed up too. So it's, it's like, uh, you, see, you see a lot of Morrison's like inner demons show up in the pages of Batman with the stuff that he's into. And he's, he probably loves like serial killers and like all that kind <laughs> of crazy shit, you know? So but uh, there's a lot of nutty stuff going on in, the, in, in R.I.P. for sure, you know. One, one thing that surprised me throughout um, the R.I.P. story is that everyone knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah. It's like no secret. I mean, even yeah. I mean, he even takes off his mask in front of Joker. It's like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That was and, an interesting point, too. They, uh... With Joker, that says to him, you shot me, Batman shot the, the Joker. And it, it was kind of like, uh, no, I didn't. You, st- you stepped outside of our relationship. Like, we had a, an agreement here. And fucking shot yeah. me there. So what's wrong with you? I was just of the mind, like, he doesn't, you know, he takes off his mask or whatever, but the, the Joker never even comments on it because it's, it's yeah. not, that's not their There's, thing. They have a thing, a set relationship was it was it snyder or i can't remember what what writer uh wrote in the fact that joker knows or has an idea that it's bruce wayne but he knows that if he ever admits that it's bruce wayne it no longer he can no longer be the joker 
Yeah. Because once once Batman becomes limited to an identity of a of a uh, a man, a mortal man, Joker's whole essence dies with that mortal man. So I can't remember like who wrote it in, but there's one point when Batman goes into Arkham and goes into the Joker's cell, and he's trying to like get out the fact that Joker knows that it's Bruce Wayne, and the Joker won't fucking uh, cop to it. He won't look at him, and he keeps playing on as if he, yeah, he won't look at him. He keeps he keeps playing on that. It's I don't know who Batman is, all because he knows that once he admits that he knows who Batman is, this whole game's over. Yeah, I think it was in, in Snyder's run. He he went there as Bruce Wayne, or, or the Joker Maybe, would look yeah. at him, and then it's he probably came back an as Batman or something, and then that's when they they spoke. Yeah, I I, and I don't know if it was like an end game. Or yeah, where it was, right. but yeah, death of the family. But uh, I always love that, you know, where it's like uh, Joker knows that it's Bruce Wayne, but he also knows that if he admits to that, Joker is no longer Joker. And same with uh, Commissioner Gordon. Uh, you know, Gordon Gordon's got pliable deniability, where he's like plausible deniability, yeah. where he knows that it might be Bruce Wayne. He very much knows that Bruce Wayne is probably the only person that could pull this off, but he plays on as if he doesn't. But, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, another thing, too, about Morrison is um, you kind of see that Snyder is basically like a baby Morrison or attempts to be like a baby Morrison yeah. at times with the way he writes. And, and he's very much uh, influenced and very much, um, you know, uh, trying to at times maybe reach the level of Grant Morrison. The thing about Morrison's writing, though, I feel like. Um, Snyder has a lot of buildup. Snyder has a lot of uh, like backstory, buildup, dialogue, and then he kind of gives yeah. you this payoff. Whereas it's it's scary. But when I read Morrison stuff and how fucking crazy and weird it is, it is almost effortless though. The way he like he doesn't. There's no buildup. There's no ramp up. It's just crazy shit and reveals coming from like left fields. Almost as if like you're reading this and, you know, it's when you're reading it for the first time and you're reading it out of context, it makes no sense to you because he has this whole planned out like theme from start to finish that he already knows where he's going and you have to follow him. And if you don't like you're going to get lost, but it's he's 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 writing it out to you very simply where it's panel, sentence, sentence, turn the page uh, you know, reveal panel, and it's like it's the pacing is not. There's no, there's not a lot of buildup. It's it's it reads pacing wise as like any other comic, except it's way heavier deep down. Yeah. So, which I think uh, just adds to the fact that people, you know, you'll you'll go back and reread more. Like right now, like I, this is probably my like sixth or seventh time rereading R.I.P. Uh, rereading this Morrison run, and uh, I always forget at how effortless it seems that Morrison writes this shit where it's like, Oh my God, like this guy's like writing crazy, deep, like religious, uh, demonic shit. It has <laughs> multiple, it's got multiple layers, but if you look at it on the surface, it doesn't even seem like that. No. Yeah. Like you, you really have to reread the stuff a good amount of time to peel back all the layers and realize how much is down there, you know? I read it frequently. It's my favorite run. Uh, these Black Love and, and R.I.P. in particular. Yeah. And I just keep, you know, discovering new things. And 
I've, there's books about it. There's, uh, I mean, I've printed hundreds of pages of documents, and I have an annotation here in front of me on, on Grant Morrison's Batman. It's like seven parts of annot. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> yeah, have you? Ever, it's funny too. Be, have you ever met him? I met him yes. twice. I gave him uh, a hug. <laughs> you did. He signed. Signed my copy of R.I.P. Uh, and a couple other books. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I met him at oh man, uh, when was the last? He hasn't been to San Diego for a while. Whenever it was, the second to last time because he was there maybe two or three years ago, and I probably saw him there maybe like twenty third. Uh, maybe it was like twenty fourteen. I think it was maybe twenty fifteen. I saw him there and. Um, I took uh, my hardcover first edition of Arkham Asylum and uh, got in line and then uh, gave him my book to sign. And then I gave my camera to, I forget who was with me, but I was like, hey, Grant, can I get a picture with you? He was, oh, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so like, I came around the side of the table and I just fucking bear hugged him and put my head into his chest and like literally just like gave him a big hug and took a picture like that and he like fucking beamed from ear to ear and he looked at me he like he put his arms on my shoulders and he looked at me he goes i really felt the love there my gosh i really felt the love there like he was like laughing thought he was the funniest shit like this big huge fucking dude just give him a bear hug (laughs) i remember that that was funny yeah i gotta i gotta find that picture i still have it somewhere i love that picture but uh, so you know what 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 do you say about Tony Daniels' art throughout this R.I.P.? Because I think it's kind of some of his uh, best work to date. Yeah, totally. yeah. Totally. There, there's uh, there's moments where um, it you know it doesn't really call for a lot of detail. So he does like some you know it's it's uh, whatever people say about Tony Daniels. It's like you know it's fine comic book art. But then there's some shit like the covers and like uh, the page reveal the, the page turn reveals. Um, one of my favorites is when he's standing there, wing spread, bat in hand, batmite over his shoulder, and it's like I am the Batman of Zurinar, and he's in the purple, uh, red, and yellow, um, and I'm like, fuck, that looks sick. But yeah, I think R.I.P. was some of his strongest work, and I think he even still carried on. Um, there's parts of Detective, his Detective run from New Fifty Two, um, that he did that I feel like, uh, I mean, it feels like he got his motors going full blast in R.I.P. And it really got the juices flowing, and he had um, some of those um, spinoffs that he did. Uh, uh, what was it like? Lifetime in the back. I don't forget what he did. He did a Battle couple of spinoffs. Too. Battle for the cow. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. Uh, I think didn't he do some Savage Hawkman? Uh, yeah, he did. I mean, he he's always been one of those guys where he's like. Um, I don't know. You've got your A-team top guys. You know, you've got your Capullo, your your Fabic, your Finches. And he's always been kind of in that second tier. I mean, yeah. he, he really puts good work, puts in good work. It's almost like if he's really passionate about it, he puts in really good work. Um, yeah. He's going to be coming back on, is it Batman? For, yes. Uh, 45. 45. Yeah. yeah. Great looking cover. So the, yeah, the way I see it is he's like a great bench player. You know, he's gonna get those bench points for you. And the thing about Tony Daniel is um 
kind of from like talking to him at conventions and, and seeing how he is online. Um, he seems like a really friendly guy. Right. Yeah. And he seems like a very, uh, he seems like a good soldier. So the thing about Tony Daniel is I see him as a guy that probably has a hard time saying no to a project that's presented to him. Um, maybe because he wants to just like be the guy that you can count on or he doesn't want to miss an opportunity, but he takes, he takes projects on that. Uh, he later talks about that are maybe like not, it was maybe like a misstep or, um, he didn't really consider how much he would be working on it and how much effort it would be taking, you know? Um, but when he's on, he's fucking on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When he's on, like sometimes there's, there's pieces that he does. There's like covers that he does where it's up there with like some fabric work, some David Finch work. You know, I'm not saying he's just going to be consistent as those two guys, um, but when he does his best work, it's up there with those two, I say, well, yeah. you know, the way I see it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he's probably stronger as like um, sometimes a cover artist versus a storyteller type artist, um, you know, and maybe that's just because some of the sequences maybe uh, kind of at the end of some of the R.I.P. and maybe some of the earlier Morrison stuff. It just, just kind of seems like it. They had to wrap it up real quick, and some of the panels. You know, I'm like, well, how did this guy get here? He was just over here, you know, <laughs> and things like that. Things like that. I mean, that's just very minor. Of course, you know, editorial gets involved too. But um, they jumped around with artists a lot too during Morrison's run, and yeah. um, you know, when you talk to any comic book artist, I think they'll tell you um, writers don't have necessarily the uh the downside of having to worry about uh to me because they're writing the project the whole time for the most part so they're the guy writing it they're writing every every issue whereas an artist if you're jumping into a story and you haven't been on that story for the whole time and you haven't been communicating with your writer and you haven't gotten the rhythm and flow um that you're used to and you're just picking up the the pencil and you're trying to draw what you what you think the writer wants um, you know, you're going to have miscommunication sometimes and it's probably not going to be your best work. Whereas you're the consistent writer on the title, been there for the last two or three months, you know? Um, I think for what Daniel did, you know, jumping in when he did on RIP and then even some of the stuff he did after, I was like, it's fucking great. You know, it's some great stuff. Who has the unwrapped version of this? Uh, I have it on digital. Okay. Uh, it, some of that stuff is awesome to look at because um, you're seeing Tony Daniels' raw work. Um, and like I said, yeah, I mean, like, for for where he came into the story and, and what he's delivering, it's great. Would you say, um, would you recommend R.I.P. or even, you know, Morrison's Run to a new reader or maybe have him read some other stuff first? I, yeah, I, I would... Uh, I wouldn't recommend this to someone like if you've never read a Batman comic before, if you never like read a graphic novel, if I'm going to recommend Grant Morrison to you, I'll get, I'll tell you, go read Arkham Asylum first, you know, but I wouldn't yeah, recommend like, hurt after this. yeah, <laughs> yeah. After like, like it's, it, this is probably recommended reading uh, graphic novel number like six or seven, I would say. Cause like, um, do you want to like if if this, if someone's never read comics before or Batman comics, 
I always try to like recommend something that's easy to dip your feet into. Like uh, I love going now and like now it's, it's great to do like, um, well, you know, why don't you just try Jeff Johns, Jim Lee's uh, justice league, Batman's in that, you know, he's got some issues in that. And, uh, or, you know, even hush sometimes they're not really going to understand some of the story or characters, but I think it's a great like intro to, um, that world with Jim Lee's art being so, uh, um, welcoming, um, long Halloween. If you want to read like a long graphic novel and, a story and, and feel like it's kind of like a, um, you know, cinematic. And that's a great one too. But, uh, RIP is when it's like, all right, you know, I've read uh, four or five graphic novels. I fucking love Batman. I love these. Like what's something like that's crazy. It's like, all right, you want to see some crazy shit? (laughs) You want to see some shit that's going to take you three or four reads before you really get what's going on. (laughs) But once you, once you get it, you're like, wow, this guy's amazing. Yeah, this is where you're at. One, one thing we, we didn't touch on um, is we, we talked about the religious aspects, the psychological, but there's also uh, Morrison went back, he reached back to the 50s and the 60s stories and pulled some of these characters. Uh, Dr. Hurt in particular was a, a doctor. He was an unnamed doctor in some obscure Batman story and and uh, Morrison took him and made him this Dr. Hurt character and, and uh, he took the Zero R Batman and made it a whole you know his own thing and, uh, yeah that was like originally like a, a Batman from like a, a different dimension or something that like yeah. that right and then he also yeah. used the the it was Batman with Superman powers and a rainbow costume or something. right and he also used um, you know, like the international of heroes. The, uh, you, uh, who in were the in, old story that yeah yeah they were inspired the, the club of by heroes. the club of heroes yeah they were inspired by Batman. You know specifically like you know, Knight and Squire. And that came from a story, uh, the Batman of all nations. And so that hmm. was Bob Kane, I believe, or. Uh, so I put out um, on my Instagram account, I put out, you know, kind of a question saying, um, you know, what are your thoughts on Morrison's run on the title? And got some pretty uh, pretty cool answers. Um, Tony underscore S said, RIP is amazing. I have the hardcover. Love it. Morrison is without a doubt one of the greatest storytellers. Slowfi says, to me, it's his run and the Dark Knight Returns as my favorite Batman stories. Uh, Max Power 044, Philadelphia Eagles fan, says Morrison's run on Batman is absolutely brilliant. Uh, English W says that's a book that I distinctly remember loving when I read it, but can't remember much of anything from it. Laughing laugh. I remember it being good enough that I'm not going to pick up or look up a synopsis or anything. I'm just going to add it to my stack of currently reading and cycle through it to refresh my memory the proper way. Uh, St. German Jr. says, I love every second of it. Batman and Robin especially, the juxtaposition of Batman smiling and cracking jokes and Robin demanding he take things seriously. It's amazing. Um... My favorite scene would be Talia shitting on Dick and Damien, defending him, only to immediately <laughs> give him shit in his face is priceless. Plus, Damien calling everyone by their last name is just hilarious. 
that goes on into the the later Batman and Robin run where I guess Dick Grayson is is Batman. Uh, yeah, that's also a great run. My buddy Levi A. Cooper says, as for Morrison, I generally am either following him perfectly and enjoying every second of it or completely lost to the point where I feel like I'm an idiot. And, <laughs> and you know what? I, I agree with that. There's sometimes when I'm just like, you know, what the hell? Especially like, okay, I told you guys, one of the first books that I ever read was Arkham Asylum, you know. Mm. And, you know, as a young kid in the 80s, I didn't know any of the characters. The art was just so crazy and weird and, you know, and, man, that's that's just a heavy book to pick up and start reading. Yeah. It, so, yeah, I definitely know where you're what Levi's talking about. Uh, Arkham Red says, one hell of a story. Uh, <laughs> our friend Farts by Dallas says, I can appreciate his ability. That storyline in Bat's history nearly killed my interest in the books. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, it'd still be cool to kind of get a Zurin R pin if you're listening. Uh, mm, that would be cool. That would be very cool. Uh Omaro Sam said his work sometimes is flawless and sometimes it has an astonishing concept, but the execution falls flat like RIP. It had an amazing potential to be a masterpiece, but lost it, and it lost its way somehow. Okay. Respect your opinion. Uh, the pierced beard said the whole storyline is a psychedelic roller coaster, but it just gives another aspect of training that Bruce has acquired over the years of being Batman. It also great seeing B-list rogues gallery at the end, and the character Honor was has a weird spot in my memory. That's someone else. That's an, another question. That uh, what's his name? Honor Jackson. On Honor Jackson. Okay, so Batman's cracked out on meth, and yeah. you know he's out of his head, and that meets this guy named Honor Jackson, who kind of takes him under his wing, and uh, they walk around the city. And then he tells Batman, hey, go to this corner and talk to this guy. Lone Eyed Lincoln. Yeah. And so he goes there and he tells, and Honor Jackson says, tell him Honor sent you. So he goes and he tells the guy, and the guy's like, man, you must be out of your head, man. Honor died like two days ago. Yeah. So, okay. Was Bruce really just that much out of his head that he was seeing this guy? Or was this. What, that might he's hallucinating. He's hallucinating. I'm talking about that might or Honor Jackson. No, I'm talking Jackson. Honor Jackson. Uh, okay. He he he. Met, uh, Honor Jack, you see Honor Jackson earlier when uh, he tells Batman, "You have a kind face." And That's Batman right. Yeah. Hit, hits him with the Batmobile and, and whatever. <laughs> so they've met before, but uh, yeah, he's hallucinating at this point, and you know he yeah. turns to. Um, he kind of saves, you know. I guess you get. I don't know. I took it as you get the feeling. Honor saves Bruce here. Yeah. Um, well, that'd be an. He sends him to Lone Lincoln. Uh, Lone Lincoln is standing in Park Row. We all know where Park Row is. Uh, so, either you're gonna die there or you're gonna live. And uh, like Tom said it earlier, this is the point where the. The Zero and R turns on, 
that's already on and he's on drugs or whatever, but he's starting to come down from the drugs and Zero and R Batman is taking over. And this yeah. is at the point when Anna Jackson sends him to a park row crime alley where the Waynes died and he's offered drugs, which, you know, he obviously doesn't take because he's already on enough drugs. And uh, that's when Zero and R switches on. So, I, in my opinion, he was hallucinating. But again, to touch on what Tom said, or Tom was saying earlier, like, and uh, between Snyder and Morrison, like this is a the, the style that Morrison does. You can kind of at times choose your own adventure or, or fill in That's your own blank spots. It's true. Mike Mad One Two Three Four said, "R.I.P. is my favorite run ever on Batman. The weirdness, and especially hobo methed out Batman, is a thing of beauty." Tony, Tony Daniel killed it with his art, and his Joker was menacing. The scope is so epic, it's almost exhausting. Dilly dilly. Mm. <laughs> so, you had some good comments there. Yeah, yeah, I had some good feedback. Thank you, you know. thank you, everybody that participated. Where was that that you were reading that from? I put it out on my own little uh, blurb. I, I I took a picture of uh, from Dark Knight Returns and then changed the colors to make it kind of look like the Zuranar Batman. I said I'm the Gramps. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, got nice. some good some good feedback. I like that. Sweet, so, appreciate everyone. It, even the guy that didn't uh, enjoy it that much, uh, I could you know, this is my favorite run again. But when I first started reading, I hated it. I just was like, yeah. "What is this garbage?" <laughs> and then uh, I don't know. At some point, it just clicked for me hard, and uh, I've been in love with it ever since. But uh, I can completely understand the other side of the coin. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like when I first picked up a couple of floppies, I was just like, "Man, I don't know what the, I don't know about this one. I'll, I'll wait this one out because I don't I don't know the direction this guy's going." And uh, but then you know to read it in its full form you you get the whole you know enchilada and it it's very yeah. very delicious <laughs> for sure well all right so that's grant morrison r.i.p so uh uh tom out, mm-hmm. out of um what, what's something good that we could uh rate this one with um, mm. um, out of uh, five Richard Pryor Marlon Brando hookups <laughs> uh, yeah I'm not gonna go there <laughs> <laughs> okay out of uh, out of five Cult of the Batman Returns oh oh damn well that I mean shit that's already a automatic five right there uh, yeah okay um sure out of okay let me let me just say this okay I'm, so this week our water heater went out at the house oh shit yeah so uh my wife and I we've been having to get up literally at like five o'clock in the morning and okay like two weeks ago, we joined this gym and you know we set it up because we wanted to start going to the gym together and you know doing all this stuff and it's a nice you know LA fitness gym and uh so we've been having to get up at like five o'clock 
And I've just kind of been like, okay, let's just get up and go do our workout in the morning. Then we just take a shower there and then go to work, you know, because we're not going to have uh, hot water until tomorrow when they come in and, and reinstall the hot water tank. So it's been a fucking nightmare. So while I'm, uh, you know, doing all this, I call it training, but it's really, I'm just kind of, you know, walking, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, you know, you got to start somewhere, right? Yep. Uh, I'm trying to quit zinging. You know, I, I love these vanilla zingers. Uh, they're like my crack, dude. Hmm. I love zingers, but I'm trying to quit zinging. But <laughs> if if we were to rate Grant Morrison on zingers, how many zingers would RIP be? Uh, I would say... And which do once. you prefer? Do you prefer the vanilla or chocolate zingers? No. I I think I'd probably prefer the chocolate myself. Chocolate? Okay. Yeah. So for me, I would say um, once I've, like now that I've appreciated it for what it is and I've read it multiple times and I understand it, I would say it's definitely five chocolate zingers. Like borderline five and a half chocolate zingers. The point where other artists try to emulate this style. And how do you eat your zingers? Do you lick the icing off first, or you just kind of bite mid zinger and and or just put the whole thing in? No, I <laughs> I, I, I bite by bite. I I want to make sure that every bite has a little bit of uh, equality in it. Okay. Cake frosting. Yeah. Okay. Grumps. What first? What yeah. type of zinger? Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Absolutely. Absolutely. And okay. <laughs> So out of five zingers, how many would you rate RIP? Five out of five. Five out of five. Damn. Uh, it's it's like your Dark Knight Returns. This is my this is my Dark Knight Returns. Oh, okay. So zingers zingers come in a three pack. So you'd probably just go ahead and buy two, uh, two yeah. packs and just make it six out of five, right? That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Well, that concludes another episode of Bat Force Radio. Thank you very much for tuning in, and remember to ask yourself, where the fuck is the trunkler? Trunkler.